Hello and welcome to the DVD Bunker. I'm your host, Brian, and here on my show we like to go through my DVD collection. We look back at movies I bought and haven't gotten around to watching as much as I probably should have for the money, and we see if they were worth purchasing in the first place. Um, recently I've been inviting some guests on to host with me, um, and this week we got a good buddy uh, from the website whyilovemovies.com and also the brilliant podcast Flyover State of Film, my good friend Yusef Conesa. Hey, how's it going, Brian? Thanks hey, for, man, uh, how's it going? Thank you for taking me down to your bunker. It's That's right. I, are your chains too tight? Do they are your shackles comfortable? <laughs> it's and the temperature is like really, weirdly perfect. Right, right. It's very temperate down here, yeah. and it's like this all year round. It's very nice. Yeah, I appreciate it. So. As I was saying, I've been having some guests come on and host with me, and the way I've been trying to do it is to get the guests to kind of suggest something or a couple things, and hopefully they're already in the bunker and we can talk about them. And a lot of people, uh, a couple of people I've, I've talked to have wanted to do what it, we ended up doing, like, more like favorites, which I'm fine with. I love revisiting that stuff, and I'll take, it's great when you can blame, oh, I'm breaking the premise of my show, but oh, it was the guest's idea, so hey, what, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> um, so that's cool, I have no problem with that, and I really left it so wide open that I can pretty much talk about anything. But, um... Yusef literally picked a perfect movie, one that was already tagged in my collection to be a future episode anyway, and that was uh, 1997's Gross Point Blank. So you're saying I'm the perfect guest. Well, I'm saying you had a very good pick. Let's not go crazy. <laughs> um, so what was it that made you pick this? Was it because it fit the premise of the show or because it's a favorite like it's, a, it's obviously not a favorite of mine i'm just not familiar with it as familiar with it but is it something that you're really familiar with or did you pick it for a similar reason like you hadn't seen it in a while no i've i've listened to a couple of your uh your podcast and i and i understand what you're trying to do so i just looked at your your themes like your recently visited movies and i just started like going back in my library of movies that I probably watched once and I claim to like and I've never watched again and yeah, uh, definitely gross is, is up there. That's perfect for because that's almost exactly the way this was for me this was purchased by me at a time when I was being I was buying a lot of movies and I was also being influenced by people who I thought knew more about movies than me you know I had some yeah. friends and they, if they talked about something enough it'd be like and I saw it I'd be like I'll pick that up check it out you know the, the early days of DVD when we were all fresh faced and uh, and I remember watching it at least once I've watched all my DVDs at least once but this has been a long time ago and so I was like like, this is perfect for me. Same circumstance. I was like, oh, great. I get to revisit this. I can take the little tag. It literally had like a little yellow plastic tag on it. So I can take that off now. Um, <laughs> so no, great, great choice. Um, we can talk a little bit just about the cast. Uh, usually I don't go into the whole, because you know I'm not doing a career retrospective on anybody. So I just try to kind of like get a feel for where they were at in their career. Uh, 1997, great year for both our leads. Uh, you know, John Cusack and Minnie Driver. Cusack had this and also Con Air that year, which, come on, right? And then... Would you say, would you say this is peak... <laughs> Meanie Driver, because I wouldn't say it's peak young Cusack, because he later had, like, serendipity, and... and this is uh, pretty close. How close is High Fidelity to this, too? That came out, what, like, 99? Yeah, he had, like, good stretch, um, towards the 90s. 
like it, late 90s yeah yeah late 90s and early 2000s and where he got like he did i feel literally and in, in, no wait he did actually be in john malkovich in 99 high fidelity america sweethearts and serendipity all in a row so i would say that that was his comeback but, yeah he'd been the teen star and then he but i would say this is kind of the beginning of that comeback then if i had to put it that way with this and con air in the same year i would say yeah. this is definitely leads you know this off the strength of this year 97 he gets to ride that uh, as far as mini driver goes i think uh, yeah, this is probably definitely because she had Google Hunting this year, and that was like an Oscar winner and everything. Uh, big, you know, big Oscar movie. I think she might have gotten nominated for that. Probably, yeah. You want to fact check me? I don't know. Who cares? Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the other. Now, I'm going by when I was doing this, like I said, I wasn't as familiar. So I was just listing the top build cast based on whose name was on the front of the DVD. So third build is Alan Arkin, which I thought. Yeah after having seen the movie is awesome like it awesome tribute to his power that he like he got the third billing for how much he's in this movie yeah, um, it's surprising that he went over uh dan Aykroyd. yeah but it's it's one of those things because i know the and credit is a thing and dan Aykroyd got the and credit oh uh, yeah and like sometimes that's like that's like second to being top build is because you're like specially called out at the very end drawn extra attention to but i think you know alan arkin if you don't know uh comedy legend basically in helped invent improv as we know it kind of like created second city um yep. and right around this same time he was also in that movie with ethan hawk gattaca apparently i've never seen it i'm not an ethan hawk fan um, yeah, gattaca is uh it's Kind of weird, a weird movie. It's a weird one. And then in 98, he's in a great movie that I really like with Natasha Leone called Slums of Beverly Hills. So I thought I'd shout that one out too. Yeah, and they uh, and he reunites with uh, John Cusack in American Sweethearts. Mm -hmm, also. Mm -hmm. Is that a, That's a Coen Brothers movie, isn't it? I believe so, yes. Okay. It's, I, I have not seen it, although I've seen a lot of Coen Brothers movies. Yeah, I think that's the one with um, Josh Gordon. And then, you know, like you said, with the and credit, Dan Aykroyd, um, you know, don't need to talk about all his list, long list of credits, but uh, the year before he did this, 1996, he had a movie came out with Daniel Stern called Celtic Pride. It also had Damon Wayans in it. Uh, never, seen it. never seen that i've never seen it but i remember it you know what i mean like mm -hmm. uh it rings a bell and then the year after this 1998 dvd bunker fans will remember he's in blues brothers 2000 a horrible abomination to the franchise and good name of that uh particular comedy sketch <laughs> yeah he really wrote that I mean, he's. I think he's still writing that character to the ground. Do they? I mean, does he still do like stuff at the House of Blues? Is that yeah, still a thing? Does I think that still he does, exist? Uh, with uh, with the other Belushi, they, he still does the. Here's what I appreciate about Dan Aykroyd. There's been no really horrific shit come out about him. It's all. I mean, he's a he's kind of a crazy person and a in a you know and maybe like an asshole or whatever or you know and gone off the deep end, but with all the stuff in the news the last couple of years it's like you know that's all of a sudden i mean it still sucks but it could be a lot worse you know it's like i haven't had to hear about that he was a like all the time he was making ghostbusters he was also a rapist you know that that's like the level think, we're uh, dealing with uh, at this point like i'm just happy that he's just a crazy person <laughs> uh, i think the ghost all the ghostbusters are so far clean yeah yeah um 
you know, I only think the the worst thing Bill Murray's uh, guilty of is just being maybe a little overexposed, a little annoying, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's Hollywood. Yeah. And then this was directed by George Armitage. Not much to say about this guy. The only thing oh, he had even really directed that I even that I recognized was a movie called The Big Bounce. And it's like from 2004. Had Owen Wilson and Morgan Freeman. It's a Elmore Leonard adaptation. So yeah, that's and all. He disappeared. Yeah, that's it for him. <laughs> so uh, I want to keep. I want to give a shout out that this is also one of those rare uh, Cusack siblings uh collaborations oh yeah we were definitely gonna get to talking right away about uh joan cusack because she's right at the beginning of the movie it starts out with him on the job and yeah. he's talking she's like what basically his handler i guess she like does the business and makes the con you know contracts and connections and wires yeah, she, the money and all that sort of stuff she's like the paperwork uh pusher and he's like the the talent i would say yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so we see him on a job, and we get a little bit of their banter while she's telling him about the reunion and stuff. Um, we, uh, I like after that job kind of goes wrong, you know. I like when he meets up with Grocer, who's Dan Aykroyd, which I love their names. <laughs> yes. Grocer? Okay, sure, right on. Um, but uh, I like the way they meet up, the way how nervous they are around each other, the way they, like, shake hands, but they, like, got their hands in their coats, clearly grabbing their guns and stuff. Like, a shootout could break out at any moment between them. What I really love about this movie is that if you pitch it to somebody, they wouldn't think it's a movie. It's like... <laughs> Well, it's a hitman going to kind of like a, almost like a midlife crisis, and he decides to stop being a hitman and go to a high school review. So you're like, no, that's not a movie. And then you watch it play out, and you're like, yeah, this is like the perfect setup for like a high school reunion movie. Well, I was going to say, like, because right after all this stuff, he kind of he botches his first job, and then he has this thing, you know, going on with Grocer, and then he, he goes to see his therapist, Alan Arkin. Yeah. Does this, this is like the, is this the first Hitman in therapy movie? Did this kind of like set that trope? Because it predates Analyze This and The, and the Sopranos. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Well, I'm trying to think about... of anything else. There's nothing else that jumps to mind for me that I can think of where it was like, that was a plot point. I don't think, I don't think there's another one that I can think of. But what I love about their, now that you're touching the, the Hitman and Psych and the, and the Doctor relationship is like, with the beginning we see him like super nervous and just like he doesn't want to deal with it and to and like throughout the entire movie his attitude towards uh towards towards uh martin. martin martin blank john martin cusack blank. <laughs> yeah he just he's so nonchalant he doesn't he's like eating a sandwich he's like just just breathe and don't kill anybody and he just hangs up on him <laughs> yeah yeah he's he's what it's what uh richard dreyfus should have done in what about bob you know just oh, yeah just, <laughs> Stop putting in... Don't let him get to you, man. Um, so, Martin Blank is invited to his 10-year high school reunion in Gross Point, Michigan. This... Cle is this title the most clever title since Flyover State of Film? I mean, is it, is it like, is it almost too much? Because you got Gross Point, and then his name is Blank, but also Point Blank, you know, like a gun, like a hitman. And I'm just like, is this, it's almost a little too much. 
I feel like they they built the entire movie around the title. Like somebody came up with the title and they're like, "How are you going to use this title?" Well, it's just one of those things. They had the script and they, but it was set in you know his high school was in New York and they were just like, "Nope, it's in Gross Point now." (laughs) Don't change another single thing about it. (laughs) That's hilarious. Well, I love like I love. Joan John Cusack's performance. I kind of hate that she's just like isolated to an office because she has one of the best chemistries with people. Like if you if you've seen in any any single movie from her, her the way she plays off other people is like always. Oh awesome. yeah, well, we're a big uh, Adams Family values people in my house. Like oh, we know yeah. we love some Joan Cusack. So, <laughs> but yeah, she's always on the other line, just like. Uh, like the doctor just trying to keep uh, Martin uh, sane throughout this entire process. But one of the running jokes that I love, like trying to circle back what you were saying, like once he actually gets to gross point blank, he goes gross point, is like whenever somebody asks him what does he do for a living, he straight up tells them. I'm a professional killer. Yeah, and they always just laugh it off. It's always like, oh. I also, I, I thought they were going to do a little bit more because he goes to a second job and he has this little contraption with the wire and he's like going to drip poison into the guy's mouth. And I thought they were really going to like get a little bit more into the Iceman aspect of this where he's like trying out different ways to, but that's pretty much all we ever get. And he botches that too. And that's why I started to think, I was like, is he actually any good at this job? Because this is two in a row now where he blew it and then he blames things that are out of his control. How often does that happen for him? <laughs> yeah, he clearly was looking for a way out. Yeah, exactly. He's doing one of those things. He was he was already, he had one, one foot out the door. But because he botches that job, the people that he was doing it for insists that he takes this other job, which gets stolen from Grocer. So when he leaves to go do this job that's in Detroit, right near where he's supposed to have his reunion, mm-hmm. Grocer, because he's mad, sits six the NSA on him, which is Hank Azaria. And hold on, I had to write down the guy's name because, it, like, I didn't. I he he just wasn't that familiar to me. K. Todd Freeman. Yeah. And. K. Todd Freeman was in The Dark Knight, apparently, but he also played Baxter Stockman in the most recent Turtles movie. So, you know, if you were a fan of Michael Bay's Ninja Turtles, well, you might have seen him. I've not, but I know him from, um, I saw the first season of a series of unfortunate events. Okay. And he, and he's in, and he's in that series. He's fine. Yeah. And Hank Azaria, I think, is great always. Like, never have any complaints about him. And he's pretty good in this, although this is maybe one of his most toned-down roles. That also might have something to do with the fact that the night before this, I watched him in The Birdcage. So... Yeah, I think this is one of his few performances where he's not putting on a character or a voice. Like, it's just Hank. Um... So he goes, you know, anyway, he's in Gross Point now. He travels in, although the, while he's traveling, they showcase this movie's 80s soundtrack, and they also introduce the uh, the reason to have an 80s soundtrack in this movie. It's because Minnie Driver, uh, whose name is Debbie, right? Yep. Debbie is the local radio DJ, apparently the only one. Like, she works all the shifts. <laughs> it's a small... It's a small... Uh, it's a very small town. town. But... And she's going to play an 80s soundtrack in honor of the reunion, the 10-year reunion. Yeah, but it... But, like, it's a great soundtrack. That's what I was going to say. The soundtrack totally bangs, though. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, 
I'm so happy. Yeah, it has uh, Guns and Roses, Blister in the Sun. I mean, there's lots of good stuff through the whole thing. Like, mm-hmm. I love this one. It's also it's weird to me. It's a 10 year reunion. Is that like a big enough deal to even have a reunion? Well, yeah. I mean, I've been <clears> to <throat> mine, um, but I know like the the benchmark for the first reunion is the 10, 10 years. Yeah, I mean, I uh, went to mine, but it was more like a small thing at a bar, whereas I feel like the 20 is the one where you have, like, the big, like, where they do it at the school and stuff. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. And I feel me. like everybody changed a lot, like, in terms of how they looked, or it took only have been 10 years. Like, the, uh, according to the, you know, they put the pictures and their uh hello my name is oh sure everybody sure everybody looked like 30 years past <laughs> yeah 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 well it looked like all those pictures were like all black and white and stuff i was like well yeah. they, they graduated in 1980 87 not 1958 like <laughs> yeah, looking all shabby so, so he, he goes up to debbie at the radio station and we learned that they had a they had a thing prior to prom right right well we also learned during the the thing with alan arkin he's talking to his therapist that he's been like obsessed with her ever since like he never stopped thinking about her yeah and then he comes to uh he, he finally he meets her he meets up with her at the radio station and she kind of puts him on the spot and puts him right on the air yeah and like gets right in his face all shock jock style <laughs> she does have howard stern's hair to be fair <laughs> The only thing that we're missing were like the drops, like the the special effect noises every time she did like a burn or a joke. Yeah, that would have been good. Or like the that's something like I think uh, you know podcast. That's that's something this podcast is missing. Like I need like that air horn or the eagle <laughs> scream or something. A baby crying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You would use that on me all the time. You can't have that. <laughs> I like that confrontation with uh, with Debbie, but I also we don't I don't want to skip over the fact that he goes back to find his childhood home and it's been replaced with an like an Ultimart or something some kind of convenience store. Yeah, I, I was kind of lost when he was like confronting the the store clerk, <laughs> right? About like how long it had been there or whatever. I was just staring at this scene. I was like, wow, he really is going through like a crisis. He's like having a mental breakdown. But then I like I connected the like not connected they spoon fed me the dog, that, <laughs> right? That that was used to be his like childhood home. And, and then they have their sentimental moment where they go, so he goes to visit his mom, and I was like, am I supposed to feel bad for him? Because it kind of seems like he abandoned her, and now she's in an institution. Yeah, and then he pours a beer on his dead dad. I mean, yeah, it was it was a. Uh, I, I, I don't think that that angle played a lot at all. Like, I could have done without meeting the parents or, like... like yeah, or was, seeing him, it, it like, yeah. It didn't do anything for his character, I guess. No. Not, you know, to, to redeem that. But I guess maybe that's what they're setting up so it feels more redemptive. I, I don't know. Yeah, the linchpin is uh, his relationship with uh, Debbie, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Well, I, I do feel like this movie has a little bit of that kind of... Uh, post john hughes era late 90s rich white people malay pre 9 11 malays you know what i'm talking about kind of that like american beauty style <laughs> yeah i have a i have a great job but i'm sad right exactly all my all my worldly uh you know needs are, are met so i have nothing to do but think about being sad now <laughs> yeah and uh 
and to that uh, to that point, Debbie also like mentions like spirit uh, spirituality and how like connecting to the other world and you know being more in touch with the world. Like it, you can see that it is trying to branch out of you know money isn't everything. You need a connection to the world. Oh yeah, yeah. It's you know they they were both. Uh, you know, wandering spirits, I guess you could say. They've they've been since they left each other, they need to reconnect, you know what I mean? Like they've they've clearly yeah. just been spiraling since then. Her a successful uh radio DJ and him a contract killer. <laughs> yeah, she has a monopoly on radio and he's just a millionaire killing people and you know, they're unhappy. Uh we get introduced to a couple more characters uh, uh um, Martin sees a suspicious looking guy walking down the street, but he doesn't really have much time to register it because he runs into old buddy Jeremy Piven as, yeah. uh, I can't remember what his name is now. Paul. Paul, yes. And I like that Paul is the guy who sold his house to Ultimart, too. Like, they drop that. Yeah. <laughs> he mentions it, like, in passing. Oh, hey, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but you imagine he got his mom a good price, which is why she can afford to be in that nice facility. <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't think about that. But yeah, this is a pre uh, hug me bitch. Jeremy Steven. Yeah, Peven. I mean, yeah, this and is he... probably like post PCU, pre old school, which is like basically I just think of Jeremy Peven in terms of college movies. So. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But he's uh, he has like a weird relationship with uh, like every. I think everybody, and maybe it's like a small town mentality, but everybody has like a weird relationship with Mark in terms of like. As soon as they see them, he sees him, um, they're obsessed. Like, it's been 10 years and I don't know anything about you. Yeah, everybody's just like, you just disappeared. What happened? Like, yeah, everybody's really, he's been like this local legend kind of. Yeah. The only one we don't know about, like, literally. Because we know every single movement for everybody, it seems. And him and Jeremy Piven get high. And again, he's honest with Jeremy Piven about what he does. But he's, like, really emphatic about it with him. <laughs> yeah, he says it, like, three times. Like, <laughs> I went to the army. Uh, he, like, lays it all out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they just, uh, all right. Whatever, man. <laughs> yeah, sure, if you say so, right? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, but, but that leads to one of my favorite scenes, which is... Um, when Jeremy is, well, Paul is uh, trying to sell the house and uh, Martin is just outside and a security guard comes up and, and it happens to be that they studied together as well. Yeah, it's like they were in the military together, right? I think so, yeah. And then, like, he's asking him, like, can you kill people? And then he asks, <laughs> like, my favorite line is... All you have to do is perceive them as a threat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but my favorite line is, so how did you get the gig? And he's like, well, they were hiring, and it was only two weeks training, so I applied. <laughs> he's like, good job. <laughs> That's awesome. That was my favorite line of the entire movie. Yeah, and then I forget why Martin goes back to the convenience store. I, it might just be to buy some food. I don't really remember. But he has a big shootout with the weird-looking guy he saw on the on the road uh, yeah, walking guy, by, which I like that. like he has a mask on. Like, yeah, that like guy's face is, he's got a lot of forehead, that guy. Like, yeah. I bet he has played a lot of creatures in movies, you know? He's got one of those faces like Ron Perlman that just lends itself to prosthetics. Like, oh, yeah. 
Um, I like that shootout. I like that they have a practical explosion at the end when he puts a block of C4 that would have, like, liquefied that building into the microwave. <laughs> And the store clerk is just pissed that he has to apply for another job. <laughs> the one, the most unrealistic part is that they had a Doom cabinet. Like, Doom was never in a cabinet. Nobody ever played Doom in an arcade style. Nobody, that just wasn't a thing. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I was like, oh, okay, I get it. That's what that's what's been around the time Sega bought Doom and they were putting it on the Genesis. You want to get some, get some publicity there. Yeah. It was a, clearly an ad. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we get a little exposition dump from Joan Cusack. She tells, uh, Martin had noticed the NSA guy's tail on him. She tells him about them, uh, tells him about Felix La Poubelle, which is the weird looking guy who he just had the shootout with, who has the best name. I love that guy's name. <laughs> La Poubelle. It's definitely a 90s name. Yes, absolutely. And then Martin goes to visit, um... Mini driver at her at her parents it's at her parents' house and she's in her bedroom. It's her old bedroom sells all the posters on the wall and shit and she's all like flopped on the bed and everything. And I was like, is Mini Driver a manic pixie dream girl in this? Yeah, he they have uh he's like almost drunk or not drunk. Right? Am I thinking of the same scene that you're thinking about? Like, I think so. no, yeah, I think so. This is when they're at the house, right? Yeah, like, and she yeah. lays on the bed. Yeah. She's acting, she's acting like drunk. And she, and she he's asking her out, and she's like playing hard to get and asked for a plane ride. It was so weird, the contrast from their first interaction in where she's like like busting his balls, and she, she's like, I'm, I'm the one in command. And then the following scene, <laughs> she's just like, okay, let's be 17 again. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I was just like, she's kind of got that vibe of, you know, too good to be true, too cool, to, yeah. you know, like. Too understanding. Yeah, ex yeah. And it's, yeah, I don't know. I was just, it just jumped into my head. I don't 100% know what that term, Manic Pixie Dream Girl, is, even entails. So I don't want to label her, because I do like her character in this for the most part. So I know that's mostly yeah. seen as a negative. So I don't want to, like, throw her under the bus like that, you know? I think it's usually used when the girl perfectly fits all the guy's desires and she's like she's she's not the problem like he's the problem like yeah she's just there will, willing to wait but she also but also has that, to be kind of like quirky and kind of yeah. like interesting and independent and the perfect girl next door type of thing. yeah yeah i gotcha okay so yeah she's she's definitely teetering that line if it's not if she's not there yeah and she also says that like he he left her high and dry in a seven hundred dollar prom dress. Like who the, that's who a, the yeah, that's a lot for a prom dress. <laughs> Although to be fair, do you remember her house? He drives uh, by her house with Paul, and it's like a fucking mansion. That's when I wrote down that this. I was like, this is like a John Hughes movie where all the people are real. You know, like yeah. it's it's like upper middle is the are the trashy kids. You know, like people who grew up in a house nicer than mine are the low class kids. Yeah, the only poor kid is like. The the security card because they right. start driving in BMWs and yeah that's true um, so I, I wanted to ask you, this is, this movie comes out in 97, so this is the post-Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, we've humanized criminals, we're, and, and, and we're getting a lot of movies, a lot of cool hitman movies. 
do you have a favorite movie hitman oh that's that's a big question well I'll give you a second to think I have a couple here I'll shout out how about that and that'll give you some time to think um, one that comes to mind for me, uh, Chuck Berry in Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, played by Sam Rockwell. I think that's an underrated one, but that's a great movie. That is a great movie, and it's super well well acted. Like it, it's criminally underrated in um in Sam's uh, resume. Um, also, I kind of in this same vein of like comedy crime movies the whole the first the whole nine yards is actually a fairly solid movie i think jimmy yeah, the tulip with, uh, bruce willis is that is jimmy the tulip bruce willis and um chandler from yeah, yep exactly <laughs> in a very uh you know he, he always kind of remind me of like comedy john cusack anyway you know <laughs> that's true uh, so you yeah, anything for, coming to mind yet, Yusef? What are you looking for comedies? Because you've mentioned two. No, no, I I just was bringing up. That just happened to be in the mindset I was in when I was thinking of my favorites. I have a couple more here I'm going to mention, but I wanted to give you a chance to jump in. Well, I'll give you one of my favorite movies, and um, in Bruges, and where um, Colin Farrell. And, um, uh, this is one of my movie uh, blank spots I have not seen in Bruce and it's actually on Netflix and I keep meaning to watch it yeah, but I'm hung so, up watching garbage for our other podcasts all the time I think the quick pitch is like two hitmen after a job gone wrong two hitmen are sent to a small town in Belgium which is Bruges and it's just Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell just like being in this beautiful beautiful city but they're just bored out of their asses because <laughs> There's nothing to do outside of just watching, like, art and all that stuff. And I'll watch any Brendan Gleeson shit, too. Like, I, that, I've been on board with him oh. since Braveheart, so... <laughs> Brendan Gleeson and uh, Ralph Fiennes, I think is, is the other guy in it. They have one Yeah, of it's best. pronounced Ralph. Damn right it is. <laughs> yeah. One of the best uh, repertoires between them. Like, it's just... It's a hilarious movie. I, I highly recommend it. And obviously, like, if, if we want to go... Uh, um, current would be like John Wick, I guess. Yeah, I was also thinking I was kind of I, I almost didn't want to say this one because it seemed too obvious, so I wanted to leave it open in case you got to it. But uh, Leon from The Professional is oh, a big sure. one. Um, al- and also, I feel like I kind of cheated by mentioning Pulp Fiction already, but I think Jules and uh, Vincent are you know up there. But also, uh, if you've ever seen a movie, Matthew McConaughey movie, William Friedkin directed uh, Killer Joe. Yeah, that's, that's a good. That's, that's a solid. That's a really solid movie, and he's a different kind of contract killer, and it's a yeah. very different kind of you know movie for that. It's but really I really like that one a lot. A, yeah, it's a very dark movie. It's good. And then I got to shout out my girl Charlie Baltimore from A Long Kiss Goodnight, Gina Davis. Oh yeah, with uh Sam Sammy Sam Samuel Jackson. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Another Shane Black Christmas action movie. Uh, yeah, that's solid. Yeah. Do you like uh, Road to Perdition? I only ever saw Road to Perdition once, actually. I saw it in the theater, and I just, I mean, it didn't connect with me then. I don't, I would definitely be willing to give it a rewatch, but it's just never kind of come up. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the rare uh, Tom Hanks killing people movies. Yeah, he plays like a tough guy in it. Yeah, he's the hitman. Yeah, which I'm fine with. I got no problem with that. <laughs> All right, let's get back on track. Let's talk about the the hitman the reason that the guy the little hitman 
La Poubelle is after is after John Cusack is because he was on a job where a do- the dog of like the the person who hired him, the rich guy, retrieved a piece of di- a stick of dynamite and got blown up. <laughs> Yeah, they're accusing him of like, and they're like blaming him for that. But that again falls into my thing. Like, does does Martin Blank ever have any successful jobs? We we don't hear about any in in this movie. No, I don't. We well, you hear of uh, Grocer losing a lot of jobs to him, so that's why he wants to like rope him into we haven't touched on that oh yeah we didn't even talk about grocer's whole deal with his union he's trying to form an assassin's union where he's like the head and there's gonna be meetings and rules and agendas and, and i love that's another great running joke where he's always like kind of gives him a little hope by being like are there gonna be meetings oh yeah of course no no meetings it's <laughs> like like he would have done it had he said no meetings maybe and then shootout continues you know <laughs> They have uh, Grocer is, uh, I think, I think he does a very solid, uh, accurate performance. Like he ha- he has a lot of good movies, but I don't think Gross Point Blank ever comes up and. Yeah, I agree. People don't mention it. The only thing I would say, I think he looks a little weird shooting guns, but that's just because it's not something I think I've seen him do a lot, you know? But it just so it just throws me. But I was thinking there's the, despite the comedic tone, there's that scene where they're in the diner together and they're kind of having a standoff. And I did actually find it pretty tense. And then, yeah. like, the way he kind of, like, throws the waitress in between him as he walks out and stuff, like, all that kind of really, like, I was like, that that's legit kind of like hitman movie stuff thrown in here <laughs> yeah now that you mentioned uh, the diner scene when he uh orders the omelet and she's like what do you want in it and he's like i don't want anything on it and she's like that's, well, that's not, not an omelet, omelet. <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to play semantics i just want the protein <laughs> that's funny yeah i like that scene but i thought it was like even though there was funny lines between them there was a like a legit tension that i mm-hmm. felt like you know I was, so I was like, I thought that was a pretty cool thing that they were able to kind of maintain that. Um, so Martin and Debbie kind of fulfill their destiny and they decide to go to the reunion together. Um, I, I was really happy that they avoided the trope of like something coming up and making it so he couldn't get her and her, him standing her up again. That's like something I was totally expecting from this movie. You know, it's not, it's, it's just because that would have been the like sitcom version of this, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I thought they were going to go for it because she's like, oh, I can't believe he's not going to come. But then when he shows up, it was like, all right, at least you didn't go that down that route. Right, right. I was like, they they lead you there, but they actually subvert that. And I really, I really like that a lot. Um, they head and to the I- reunion. This made me think of another one of those questions I wanted to ask you. What is the, like, do you have a favorite reunion, like, movie? Or I'll throw in TV shows, too. And the reason I'll throw in TV shows is because I'm still right off the top. The one from 30 Rock, where Liz Lemon goes back to her high school reunion. It's awesome. <laughs> it's so good. I, you know what? I saw, I saw, um, I watched uh, 30 Rock. Like, I benched the entire thing. But I don't remember much of it. Like, I remember, um... A lot of the Liz Lemon and Jack repertoires, and and especially a, a, one of my favorite memories of that show is when when uh, Alec Baldwin is doing Tracy Morgan's impressions. Yeah, 
but I don't remember that show that much. It's, I, it was on Netflix for a long time, and I really got addicted to it, and I used to watch it all the time, so much so that when they took it off Netflix, I instantly got online and bought the DVDs. Um, oh. It's up there for me as far as sitcoms go, but there's a great episode where Liz goes back to her reunion and she remembers herself as this bullied nerd. And then she finds out that basically she was like this really mean, sharp tongued bitch. And every time people tried to befriend her, she would cut them down in some really personal way. <laughs> and she was like, thought she was like defending herself. You know, she thought she was the helpless nerd, but everybody's afraid of her and has like PTSD. <laughs> like when they see her, it was just a really good, I like the twist on that one. Yes. I remember that episode. Yes, but I mean, there's, you know, obviously I think the obvious one is like, Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion is a big one that probably most people c comes to mind. I think that's a pretty solid comedy too. Yeah, I like. Uh, weirdly enough, uh, I think I think they start off on a reunion, um, and it's also uh, John Cusack is um, a hot tub time machine. Oh, you might be right. Yeah, I think they have they have a reunion in that, and then I like hot tub time machine. I even kind of liked hot tub time machine too. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna agree with you, but the first one, yeah, is solid. And uh, Chevy Chase is not annoying in that one. His old Chevy Chase is kind of annoying. In his and he's used sparingly, you know. Yeah, so I think it's enough. just perfect. Uh, yeah. And one that I forgot. This one I have just happened to pop up when I was looking up. But I think this is an underrated Kevin Smith movie. Is uh, Zach and Mary make a porno? That also has a reunion in it. Yeah. Oh, um... Elizabeth Elizabeth Banks, right? And, and Seth Rogen. And, Seth Rogen. and then I think at the. I want to say. They Justin Long and uh, Brandon Routh are like the cool couple at the reunion. Like I just for some reason yes. remember them being in it too. <laughs> yeah, they're the the gay couple, and they are. Uh, it's like one of them's a famous TV star, Brandon yeah. Routh, I think, obviously, and doesn't want to accept, doesn't want to come out publicly that they're gay. Yeah, it, that, yeah, that movie's funny. Um, it has this, it falls into the tropes of uh, of that type of comedy, and where they just really want to go all out like top themselves oh yeah well it was like kevin smith trying to do a jet apatow movie so it was like doubly over the top gross out slash dialogue you know weird improv dialogue plus yeah. kevin smith shit on top of all that like funny so. thing is that you say that he's trying to do jet apatow when I saw it in theaters, I thought it was a John Apatow movie. Yeah, well, and uh, Seth Rogen was in all his movies around that time and just felt very much like in, right in that same vein. Yep. So when they're at the reunion, this is one thing that I thought was weird. What was up with that moment where he stares at that baby? <laughs> yeah, he, every now and again, he has like this existential crisis and definitely he had one while staring into the eyes of a baby. I thought he was trying to imprint on that baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, and I, me being the mother of that child, uh, I would have taken that baby away so fast. Like, he just was so weird holding that baby. Yeah, he's like, holding it way, he's holding holding it in a weird way. He's staring directly into his eyes way too long. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I'd have been but, like, yeah, I'll take my baby back now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the drunk dude, I, I didn't understand the weird tension 
with that drunk dude and then they were like buddy buddy in the in the following scene yeah i liked that they subverted that because it was one of those things where this guy's clearly holding a grudge against martin for some reason they never and even martin doesn't seem to know why and maybe the guy doesn't know why either and you think they're gonna be like this is gonna be a thing where martin shows some kind of really ridiculous like skill that and everybody's like kind of shocked by it you know and it's like (gasps) and he takes the guy down and like almost kills him or something that's like the where i thought the trope was leading us and i do like that he kind of uses his like his time in therapy to kind of help him diffuse the thing with the guy i was like all right (laughs) and the guy was like carrying a poem around he just happened to have a phone but i love that whole thing about skip to the end (laughs) and you have gold here but skip to it again and that guy i'm not a walking dead fan but that dude's on the walking dead now or was he might be dead now i don't know (laughs) oh i don't know i haven't seen for like four seasons okay i i never watched it it just so happened that i knew the guy's face and i was like what do i know that guy's face from and that was really the only thing i could think of even though i don't watch the show he must have been some marketing or i saw a video or some shit (laughs) yeah I, i didn't recognize him so you're props to you all right i admit it i watch every episode and then i do another (laughs) podcast called the talking talking dead i had to you know i got in a little late on that one (laughs) uh, walks with talks yeah (laughs) Um, uh, skip into where the guy with the mask that is not really a mask well wait we can't skip over because first uh martin and debbie they make out maybe but maybe they bang do they have sex? I, I want to say yes because she's she's seen taking off the shirt. Right, she's taking off her shirt. I feel like you don't take off your shirt just for a makeout session, like yeah, maybe in high school, but at this age, like yeah, you're not you're not wrinkling your clothes for a makeout session. No, no. I would say in a situation like that, even if, if they did have sex, I could see her not taking her shirt off. So it almost certainly, you know, yeah. just like the bare essentials just in case yeah exactly in case somebody walks in you know yeah i agree so but then you're right yeah la poubelle the guy with the (laughs) weird mask face shows back up and they have a good fight hell yeah it's a really good fight you know that john cusack is a legit badass right yeah Oh, so i was like all right i buy into and and those moments like that and the moments in uh, the grocery stores, you were like, all right, maybe maybe he is good at his job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He definitely looked competent in those moments for sure. I like that they threw in some, like, you know, some throws and some ground stuff, you know, when they were grappling a little bit. I was into that. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite stories that I ever heard was uh, Danny Trejo talking about John Cusack and that being like, that's the only guy who ever scared him on set. <laughs> he was like, he's just got that thing in his eyes where he's like, He's like, you can tell he's really legitimately crazy. (laughs) And I was like, Danny Trejo has fucking been to prison. (laughs) That's insane to me. He's like, you know, I'm just going to go make tacos and leave John Cusack alone. (laughs) He was like in Con Air playing a horrific monster. And he's like, wait, watch out for John Cusack, the guy over there in the sandals. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I want to say that, you know, obviously Debbie shows up and like he's she sees the dead body but props to uh paul like jeremy piven like he didn't skip a bait he's like help me with this body he's like all right boss let's, let's. i love that i love that yeah they're I love, okay so i had a weird thought during this scene you know he kills la poubelle and there's like a little puddle of blood and he wipes it up with a 
with one of the banners or something. But I felt like there was still a little spot on the floor. And I started thinking, if you murdered somebody and you left some blood, just a singular spot like that in a in a place that had a regular cleaning staff, do you think a good thing to do would just be like squat down and take a shit on that exact spot? <laughs> Because then, because then the regular janitor would just see the shit and be like, oh, god damn it. You know, somebody at the reunion got drunk and shit in the floor. And he would clean it with, like, some super powerful stuff and, like, really get into it. And might clean it with something that has the best chance of actually taking up the blood, too. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> so your solution wouldn't be... To clean the blood. Well, no, he wiped it up as best he can, but you know how forensics is? They'll shine a weird light on it, and they'll see your... It's just, he all he did was wipe it up. He didn't have any cleaning stuff there. So I'm saying, you take a shit there, and then the janitor's going to use his most powerful stuff to clean up your shit, which may also clean up any leftover blood remnants. So you would go for the shit over a vomit. Like, a vomit would be more tied to a drunk somebody drunk so you would go like full power All yeah right. i guess i figured like from the You're adrenaline the, the <laughs> adrenaline dump of killing someone i would probably have to shit anyway yeah if no if you have the balls to like the the going arts to kill somebody you probably have the balls to to take a shit and just drop down and take a shit yeah. on the floor yeah yeah you probably what if mini driver would have walked around the corner and seen that that would have been <laughs> Like, okay, I'll forgive that you kill somebody, but dude, no. I, <laughs> that is I, fucking I, awful. I saw shit coming out of your butt. That's, <laughs> your asshole was open, and I saw everything, like, deal breaker. I also think here, Debbie has the appropriate reaction to finding out Martin is a murderer. <laughs> yeah. Now, granted, spoiler alert, it doesn't hold, you know? No. It was um, like 15 minutes. Right, right. But initially, her mind is in the right place, and, like, he tries to kind of talk around it, and she's, like, not having it, which I like, you know? Yeah. And uh, the only reason that they reconnect is that the, the head of uh, Martin was is her fault. Right, he finally opens the envelope for his intended mark that he'd just been ignoring. He just <laughs> didn't even care, and find out that it's... uh. Debbie's dad. Do we ever find out for sure what he did? Uh, he said he's a witness. Like in between the the random stuff that he like throws out there. Okay. He says he's like a witness. Because him and Martin have a scene earlier where you know when he comes to pick Debbie up for the reunion. Yeah, he says like he's profiting off. I just must have. Yeah, I just must have missed it. I couldn't remember. I like. There's a great line here when he. Uh, when he saves his grocers about to kill the dad and he say and John Cusack saves him and he says something and I'm like uh Dan Aykroyd's like that punk is either in love with in love uh, with that guy's daughter or he's found a new lease on life <laughs> yeah because he's Right. Well, John Cusack says, I'm in love with your daughter, and I and I found a new lease on life. But I love it cuts to Dan Aykroyd, and he's like, either or. One of those two things. And then they uh, go to the to the house, and they have a great shootout there. Like, it, it's fun. It was a good climax action sequence between, I want to say, like, eight people. and Yeah, yeah. Um, there's definitely, because there's... 
there's him and Grosher and the two NSA guys who they straight up murder. But yeah. I guess you just end up pinning that on Grosher, right? You kill him and then you blame it on him. <laughs> like you just yeah, walk away because like ooh those are you just murdered some government agents my man that's not that you're gonna you might do some time for that one <laughs> yeah and they have um and, and that's that's during the sequence where he asked are there gonna be meetings like they're in the middle of the shootout yeah they kill each other and Grosha is like I don't want to kill you how about you just join the union he's like are there gonna be meetings <laughs> during the shootout that's hilarious yeah, I like that too. And I was also thinking too, it's like he's saving the dead and uh and and Debbie, but he's also got he's kind of holding them hostage in the in a way too. He kind of kidnapped the dad. He's had a gun out the whole time himself. So like it's still not a situation where it's like optimal to be like trying to win Debbie back, you know? Yeah, the dad and the dad sees this dude kill a bunch of people. And then he's like, you have more blessing to marry my daughter. Like, <laughs> right. This guy is clearly a violent criminal. <laughs> yeah. How is this a selling point? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're Very like, well, you can protect my daughter and also kill her quickly if you decide to. <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, it was random. And they just, like, I, I guess, like, it's, it's weird because at times you forget that you're watching it like a rom-com. And right. that and that ending is like one hundred percent a rom com ending. Like it's it it ignores every single thing that just happened and then they just like oh don't love and forget, just like forget. Right. Well they just kinda of get to drive off into the sunset together. Yeah. There's no real there's no kind of real consequences for them. That's why I was thinking I was like he must have just pinned everything on grocery. I love too, uh the way he kills grocery smashes a TV over his head and I thought that was a much more I'd, I've seen that death a couple times but I think it was more graphic in this one he really kind of yeah. like sputtered and gurgled and stuff yeah that death is uh, popular for sure we did skip over one little thing I had to shout out because it's in my notes Joan Cusack smashing up the office is art like I would watch that like, I would just watch Joan Cusack, like, kind of sing to herself and smash yeah, the place up and stuff. It's a, so good. She has a whole movie just for herself. She's, like, she has all the scenes. She, she's so in command of every single moment she's on screen. Because nobody's there to take <laughs> to take light, to take her over. And and after she destroys the, the office, he gives her, like, money. Yeah, well, he had. She was just about to burn the place. She's like pouring gas around, so it's a good thing he called when he did, or that money would have been gone. (laughs) Is he's like just 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 rack it up to a profit check? (laughs) He hangs up on it. And she's like just pure joy with a stack of money in her hand. Yeah, it's a big one too. I mean, that's probably a couple hundred thousand dollars at least, right? That's a good. That's a good uh, severance package. Yeah, absolutely. So. We're wrapping up here. You know, we, we went through happy, Happily Ever After. Uh, one thing I always like to do on this show is shout out character actors who I enjoy, who people who pop up in things because I think character actors are a very important part of film. They fill out the world. Um, you know, they make it feel real. Uh, the dad, we kept talking about Debbie's dad, Mitchell Ryan. He played Greg's dad on Dharma and Greg, which is maybe like the first thing I ever saw him in. And then later realized he's the guy from Lethal Weapon. Uh, he's in Liar Liar. He's in Halloween 6, Curse of Michael Myers, which I'm a, oh, wow. you know, fan jump of. around. Yeah. 
He's, he, he just, the man works. I think in Liar Liar, he's the guy who delivers my least favorite trope, maybe in all of movies, where somebody does something that they should immediately get fired for, and then the boss is like, I like your spunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something that would never work. Ever. Like, fuck that. <laughs> Um, and then this is a really deep cut one, and I don't even know what else this dude has even been in, but I'm such a big Seinfeld fan, and uh, there's a guy he runs into at the reunion named Carlos, uh, the actor's name is Carlos Jacot, and his name is Ramon, and uh, he plays the pool boy Ramon in uh, Seinfeld. I don't know what his name was in this movie. He might have not, he might have just been you know reunion guest in this movie but i recognize him as the pool boy from seinfeld and i couldn't help but shout him out and then also jenna elfman pops up too <laughs> well i was like cheating and looking at imdb while you uh were mentioning the ones that you wanted to talk about <laughs> did you find and, somebody else yeah i wanted to shout out Anne cusack sister of john and joanne she's also in the movie she oh plays damn Amy, who's she one of the one of the high school uh girls Oh, all right. Oh, fun facts. Fun, fun facts. Thank you for tuning into IMDb being read to you. <laughs> You're like, uh, we're like, and oh, she's also in um, League of Their Own. I love a League of Their Own. Part of the team. That's such a great movie. Um, we're just like the radio DJs uh, reading Reddit uh, in the morning <laughs> and pretending it's stuff that we came up with. That's a good idea. Why don't I do that? <laughs> um, all right, so it's come to the time in the show where we use my glorious rating system. Now, if anybody doesn't know, the way I rate these is either it was a good buy or it's good buy. And that means money well spent or you got to get out of the collection. You're not, you don't belong here. And this was a good one for that, because the last couple times, like I said, we did some movies where I kind of already knew they weren't going anywhere, even if I kind of had some things to say that, that I thought they weren't as good or they didn't hold up. They were still kind of ones that wouldn't make it. Um, but uh, this one was where I actually got to like go back and revisit something I was not nearly as familiar with as I should have been, and uh, really like give it the once-over. So I'll, let, I'll throw to you, Yusef. What do you think about this movie? Is this a movie that sh belongs in my collection? Oh, this movie 100% belongs in your collection, and I think it should be added to your uh, yearly uh, rotation in terms of uh, what you watch. Yeah, I definitely think I need to watch it again more often. I think it uh, it holds up pretty well, too. I, I, I went into it. I think I mentioned off mic there was definitely some tropes I was worried this movie was going to fall into that would make it kind of like two nineties and you know what I mean? Make it a little, eh, you know, and I think, but I think we talked about it avoided a bunch of those, you know, and it turned when it needed to, but it played the rom-com stuff. Right. And I think it's absolutely a, uh, high level John Cusack movie I was, that should I was be told, fondly remembered. I was told that the off mic conversation would have played into this episode. So, um, <laughs> I feel betrayed. All right. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed having Yusef on the show. This will be his last time. <laughs> um, but no, man, thanks for coming on. This was a great pick. I really appreciate it. I'm glad I rewatched it, and I, I hope it gets – I do hope that it will make it back into a more regular rotation now that i am uh, been reminded of how good it is. No, for sure. And I'm happy. Like, I I hadn't watched it since I was a kid. I barely remembered it, and, and honestly, it's like a, it's a fun movie. 
it's just like it's the perfect movie to watch at your home like you can get up every now and again the kitchen or like look at your phone but as soon as you pay attention to the screen like you're laughing and you're just having a good time yeah absolutely i agree it's a good one uh do you have anything you want to plug buddy before we go uh yeah just you know whileofmovies.com where i post reviews that you don't want to read and flyover state of film where you can if you liked this conversation between me and brian imagine two other people trying to talk over us as well and, you know, <laughs> yeah that, that's a pretty great way to describe it actually <laughs> that's that's it for me man so honestly thank you for having me this has uh, been a fun this is fun yeah, absolutely. It's been a great time, and I appreciate you making the time. Um, you can always, people can always find me on Twitter at Hershkillies. Um, you can hashtag DVD Bunker if you want to talk about any of the shows we, you know, we've done. Um, you can find me on Flyover State of Film every opposite week of this show, uh, unless I start to get so backed up that I need to start pumping these out weekly because I just got, I just got the urge to podcast, man. I just want to make, I want to make that content. Hashtag content. The world needs content. Damn right it does. Um, we're definitely a shortage of content out there. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not enough people talking about movies. If we could get a few more people talking about movies, finally. <laughs> then we can write the box office. Right? It's, <laughs> it's on us. All right. Well, thanks for coming. Uh, and thanks for everybody who listened. Bye. Bye.